Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here for uh, this presentation, this discussion about the laws of tshuva and the concepts of tshuva with Rav Moshe Lichtenstein and uh, Rabbi Benjamin Samuels. It is a great um, honor for us at Rina to be able to host uh, this discussion of the roots of tshuva, the hidden depths of return and renewal, and the thought of Rav Aaron Lichtenstein Zichron Tzadik Levracha. At the conclusion of the program, we'll, we're zochet uh, to hear remarks from Dr. Tover Lichtenstein uh, to conclude the program. This program is being sponsored by the Landis family, by Faye Landis and her family, in commemoration of uh, the third yard site of David Landis' Zichrona Levracha. David Landis was a devoted student of Rav Aaron, and we're going to hear a little bit about him from Rav Moshe in just a couple of moments. In introducing the program, I'd like to uh, recall an essay that Rav Lichtenstein wrote 49 years ago on, uh, during Shemitah in the year of uh, 1972, at some point during that year. And he describes there two different types of poetry, two different forms of writing a poem, one which he refers to as being lyrical and the other one which he refers to as being tragic. The lyrical poem is one which has a straight line through, the same theme, there's something consistent. It's a poem all about love, a poem all about mourning, but it's consistent. The other type of of a poem is something which he calls tragic, which is a a poem which contains within it an internal tension, which is often unresolvable. And in this essay, Rilukunzi speaks about Shemitah, and the character of Shemitah as being something which is, in our day, a tragedy. And that's a shocking thing to say about Shemitah. And in the essay, Rav Lichtenstein speaks about how hard it is to have the ideals of Shemitah, this idea of Shemitah Ata'aretz and Shemitah Ksafim, this high social vision of what a society should be, and then not to be able to bring that into reality. And during the course of his essay, Rav Lichtenstein describes Hillel's Takana of Prusbol. And he goes into the emotions that Hillel must have felt as he created that Prusbol. And he describes how our perspective today is often skewed and how it is that we imagine Hillel implementing this idea that we imagine this as being something heroic, of how wonderful to be able to act on behalf of lenders, to be able to protect the flow of capital to those who need it. And Rav Lichtenstein speaks about the hoped-for reality, that there would not be the possibility of closing doors before lenders because the creditors would have ensured that such doors would have remained open short of a prisbal. And Rav Lichtenstein imagines how Hillel must have felt as he created that takana. And in thinking about our lives, we'll be creating these prisbals in just a couple of moments or a couple of hours or days or weeks. We'll all be making prisbals. And we're going to take it as some other form of remembering Shemitah on some level. But will we feel the tragedy, the tragedy of the prisbal? Will we be able to feel the tensions 
contained within living a halachic life where we fall just a little bit short of the ideals that we have, that Hillel had, that Kodesh Baruch Hu has. And it's this regard that I think we can also approach to some degree the topic of tshuva that we are going to be thinking about, the roots of tshuva, the gap that exists between the ideal and the real lives that we all inhabit. And in this regard, Rav Lichtenstein's life is a great beacon, a lodestar for us as community, for us as students. That there was something about Rav Lichtenstein's life which was lyrical, in that there was something that was a process of ongoing growth that is a model to all of us. But at the same time, Rav Lichtenstein understood the world in which he lived, perhaps better than anyone, being able to understand the tragedies, being able to be sensitive to where halacha created tragedies, and that a halachically sensitive person, a Jew, needs to be able to feel the tragedies of life to which tshuva must respond. So as we enter into uh, a conclude, as we conclude the Shemitah year, as we all engage in these prusbals, and let me think about tshuva. Let's think about the lyrical and the tragic, and may we continue to be, to be guided by Rev. Lichtenstein's example, both in terms of his writing, but also in terms of his person. I'm going to turn the floor and over now to Rav Moshe Lichtenstein, Rosh Yeshiva, Yeshiyat Haaretzion. Um, thank you very much for inviting me for this evening. I find it meaningful on a dual level. Um, the level, of course, of devoting the evening to discussing my father's Torah and his uh, understanding of tshuva. And the second level, an evening in memory of David uh, Landis, um, who um, I feel extremely close to. And uh, I, I have a conflicting mandate here. I was told by the Landis family to keep it short and to address only the topic of tshuva. I'm a thousand percent sure if my father was here, he would have told me to say a few more words uh, in, in David's memory. So uh, I will try to strike a shvil as I have over here, and uh, I will allow myself a few words. I often ask myself, like, I felt extremely close to David. And, you know, we're not quite the same. I think, you know, we, we don't agree about everything. Our, you know, our, our, uh, we're not necessarily the same square in terms of our shkafa. And, of course, uh, my father and David were extremely close. And... Uh, also the same, uh, in a sense, question. I think I, I, think I know the answer, um, or I mentioned this, I think, in Bismano. Um, one of the reasons, of course, is both of them were straight as a ruler. The integrity, the, uh, the moral compass of both of them uh, were unswervingly straight. There was no such thing as being even uh, an iota to the, le- to the left or to the right, of what they perceive to be Hayashar Vehatov. Um, but today, I spent some time reading also this booklet, which, was, uh, which is being distributed here. And I know there's another reason also, which is that David was a deep intellectual. In- intellectual, first and foremost, he was interested in ideas, even though it had nothing to do with his parnasa, nothing to do with his... Uh, he simply was interested in ideas. And... Uh, I don't know how many people in this room have tried to read my father's uh, book, Henry Moore, the, 
rational theology became a politeness, it's not easy reading. Uh, I can tell the following story. Uh, when my grandparents went to the ceremony, which my father got his PhD, so they met Perry Miller, who was my father's second advisor. He was a god olam in, in his area. He told my grandmother, well, when I first got the doctorate to read, I took my desk chair, I put my feet on the desk, and I began reading. After three minutes, I put the desk straight up, I put my elbows on the table, and I began to read the, the doctorate. Uh, very few people have, have been actually able to make it through the entire book, and... Um, David Nally made it through. He analyzed it, I think, beautifully. And uh, I certainly learned a lot from, uh, from reading this. Uh, Mamish learned a lot, and, uh, including a wonderful story he tells there about my father. And uh, <laughs> I think it's another thing, a trait which really uh, brought them together. And uh, therefore, it's most appropriate that an evening like this should be uh, in his memory. And uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the idea of tshuva, which uh, I'll discuss this in a moment, has a lot to do with the idea of self-examination uh, certainly was meaningful for, for both of them. And uh, maybe this will be a for uh, both, uh, both of them, each, uh, each in Olam both are in She'emet, who are in Olam Ha'emet at the moment. So now I move on to uh, the topic uh, at hand. Um, the topic is uh, the roots of uh, tshuva and, uh, in, in my father's thought, or actually, to be more accurate in this book, Return and Renewal, reflects on tshuva and spiritual growth. What are the sources of tshuva? And uh, I'll, I'll begin in saying the following. Um, there are certain passages in the book which deal with this topic directly. There's a whole chapter which is devoted to tshuva, impetus, and motive. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, in order to analyze his, uh, pers- the perspective on tshuva within the book, um, we have discussed the approach of the entire book to tshuva. And of course, this entails my father's uh, approach to life in general, and not only to the topic of tshuva. So, something which was a bit surprised when I began reading the book, and maybe I should not have been surprised, was that this, normally we tend to view tshuva as a dramatic event, like it's a drama person is transforms his life. He makes a U-turn in the middle of life. Uh, he is uh, kind of a bit Ezra who understands all of a sudden that his life uh, was misguided, that everything like, evaporates on the spot. He has to change his life. He transforms himself uh, like an Ivan Ilyich kind of figure who uh, at his deathbed realizes that everything has been, everything was wrong, everything went uh, the wrong way. There's none of this drama in this book. The book is extremely undramatic. It deals with tshuva in a very non-dramatic fashion. If I have to uh, phrase it, I would say it's not dramatic tshuva, it's conceptual tshuva. The concept of tshuva is analyzed conceptually. And it approaches sin, and it approaches tshuva, and so on and so forth, by analyzing the concept. There is extremely little drama. There's no attempt to analyze the drama involved in tshuva. Um, for instance, almost no people are meant, no stories, no people. Like it's, uh, it's a book about tshuva, which deals with the abstract. It does not, it is very little mention. I'll go back to Rabbi Ben Dordaya. The story is Rabbi Mital, Zechat Sadik Livracha. 
every year he would speak about it. He spoke dramatically. It's, it's a medrash with a dramatic story about a person whose life is basically engaged in hedonism, chasing uh, pleasure and pleasure, and eventually he crosses rivers and oceans and, and mountains, etc., to seek out the most exquisite, exquisite prostitute in the world. And when he comes over there, she tells him that his life has been wasted, that it's been meaningless, and he then goes and sits in a valley, in a barren valley between mountains, and he puts his, he grasps his head, and he requests that the mountains, the hills, the sky, the heavens should all request uh, mercy upon him. Uh, no one is willing to do it. And then he basically grasps his head and says, It's only contingent upon me. And he dies. It's a very dramatic story, and Ramital milked it for all the drama involved in it. Um, it's mentioned here twice, and, uh, but none of the drama is dealt with. I'll, I'll, I'll explain as we go on what my father wants from that story. But this is a very... Now, my father heard this story every year. He, heard, he also heard of Mital often, and uh, he was quite familiar with, uh, with the text, with the story, I think he purposely chose not to dramatize it, nor other stories, and he certainly is familiar with many other stories, both in literature and in life, about dramatic tshuva. It's totally missing. Um, Rabbi Tal would speak often about Miriam Batalei B'Tzalim. It's another story. I won't go into all the stories at the moment. The Dal Midrashim, and basically Rabbi Tal used the Medrashist literature, and uh, my father, he was aware of all this, and once more he knew the, he was acquainted with the text, he heard Omital speak about them, and, and, and these tshuva drushes, which he gave, purposely veer in an entirely different direction. Um, moreover, I'll say, and I'll make another contrast if you want, if you read tshuva, you know, the, the Rav's work, it's conceptual also. To a large degree, it's conceptual, but it's very dramatic. In other words, like I said, the rub, the power of the book is that, so I would call dramatic conceptualization. He takes an idea, like he makes a chiluk, he has this, he makes this conceptual distinction, and then he dramatizes it. Uh, and uh, to put it differently, he takes one idea and then begins to portray it and to, and, and to get, put flesh and blood on top of this. In contrast, I think what we have over here is um, an attempt to conceptualize tshuva, what I would call comprehensive conceptualization. He takes a concept and he systematically goes one after one. There's so many passages which he surveys the top. I'll give, you, I'll give one or two examples. Um, for instance, um, I'm from page 90 at the moment. Um, Shuvah entails a plethora of aspects because sin is multifaceted. At least five different aspects of sin can be singled out. And then he goes through one by one, number one, number two. This is a representative passage. It's not the only one. There are many, many others in which uh, there's a list of problems. There are four different forms of chuva. There are three different kinds of uh, problems that sin creates, and, and so on and so forth. In other words, classification and cataloging is a major characteristic of, uh, of this book. Uh, in, um, now, I'd say the following. The categories you choose and how you classify reveals a lot about your approach to life. 
what maybe is even more revealing is the decision to basically use classification as the linchpin of the entire system. Now, of course, this was not a book. This is simply, uh, it, was, it was Drachot delivered year in, year out. So it wasn't designed as a book. But on the other hand, year in and year out, he constantly returned to the idea, let's take tshuva and classify it. And, uh, let's, and this goes on and on. This brings me to uh, basically the main point. The, the essential approach to tshuva here is the following. Tshuva is the process of self-examination. In other words, you can talk about tshuva in many different ways. You can talk about tshuva as being say, an emotional response. A person feels that he's been corrupted by sin. He says revulsion to sin. Over here, tshuva is first and foremost a process of self-examination. I'll read to you a few passages which bring this out. Um, In page 71, for instance, tshuva is defined as attentive contemplation. The call to attentive contemplation has a normative ring. The critical initial step is taking heed and taking stock. The opening to tshuva, the topic of tonight's discussion, the opening to tshuva is the recognition Comment to Socrates and the Musa masters that the unexamined life is not worth living, or at least that the examined life would be, much, would be far richer and purer. This goes, now this goes on and on. There are passage after passage which focus upon self-examination. I'll take another quick one with the same quote. Um, the examination of deeds, which Rava speaks, has various components. Broadly speaking, we certainly subscribe to the Socratic axiom that the unexamined life is not worth living. We need to undergo self-examination at three different levels. This is the examination which the Rambam speaks, Minichos Tshuva. And throughout the book, Tshuva and self-examination are often equated. He begins talking about Tshuva, and then it moves on to the idea of, um, of self-examination, um, and two major sources uh, are quoted, besides the Socrates. One is the Pasuk Echa. Nach Hashem. We will examine, we will see, we will examine our ways. And then we'll do tshuva. And the other one is the Gemara Masechet Brachot, which talks about if a person feels that he's suffering, that catastrophes are coming, are, are coming upon him, Imrad Damshi Surim Ba'imalav, he should undergo self examination. These are the these are sources which are quoted not once. They're quoted often throughout, uh, without telling you the page numbers, but they're quoted often because tshuva, throughout the book, the main focus of tshuva is the process of self-examination. There's a fascinating quote that he quotes twice in the Rav. In, there's a certain Rishonim believe that there's a special mitzvah to do tshuva either on Yom Kippur or Aserasim tshuva. And my father quotes in the Rav over here that what is, uh, what's the idea, behind, what's the difference between tshuva, the, the regular tshuva you have to do the whole year round, and the tshuva of Asesame tshuva? He compares the B'dikas Chametz. That B'dikas Chametz, you have to proactively seek out uh, the Chametz. You don't only destroy the Chametz that you know is in your house, you have to do B'dikas, meaning you have to proactively see, seek it out. So too, tshuva. 
through an entire year, you have to repent from sins that you're aware that you sinned. So it's made true, but you have to go seek out, which put differently, you have to undergo self-examination. Like right, so B'dikashcham is this B'dikat Avonot. You have to examine yourself. This is quoted twice, quite approvingly, because he, he indeed views the process of tshuva as first and foremost examining what your life and learning the lessons of that. Um, therefore, one of the major distinctions here, which is clear for many, many psukim, and uh, throughout Tanakh it appears, one of the main <coughs> motives to tshuva is crisis. But if there's crisis, if there's tzaros, if uh, you suffer, so you do tshuva. Over here, it's presented once more. That's a psychological response. Rather, the Gemara Brachos is quoted. If a person sees that he's suffering, he should begin to undergo a self-examination. Put differently, crisis is a catalyst for tshuva. And this is actually stated explicitly. Uh, one moment. Uh, here it is. Uh, one. Page 125. The relation of crisis and... Excuse me, I'll read, the, I'll read here the caption. Crisis is a catalyst of tshuva. The relation of crisis and tshuva is so multifaceted. Once more, the... One answer that tshuva is induced by crisis, to which may constitute a response, and the response, of course, is to once more go and examine imra adam shisrim beimav yifashpeish be'masav. Now, this approach to tshuva, which really is the focus upon self-examination, and as quoted before, the unexamined life appears here also three, four times. It's quoted. Um, this creates a very particular focus for, for tshuva. For instance, the focus is upon the process of repair, less upon sin. There's, there's, there's little analysis, and right, throughout, throughout the book, there's very little analysis of sin. I mean, sin is mentioned as, as the problems it causes, but it's left at a very general level. There's, there's no attempt to delve deeply into the psychology of sin, into the ramifications of sin. It's because... Sin here is not seen as the focus of tshuva. It's, it's, it's a catalyst. The focus of tshuva is really to repair yourselves. It's to mend your ways. But it's, and, and, and really, the truth is not so much to mend your ways in that to what you were doing previously. It's rather to have a spiritual progress, to examine yourself and try to move to the next level. Um, and, and therefore, um, the focus is constantly about a tshuva, the process of the tshuva itself, less what causes it. Uh, it is the, secondly, there's also another, uh, I think, important point here, which is that there's a strong emphasis upon, upon partial tshuva. Like three or four uh, of, the, of these drashot deal with mediocre tshuva, tshuva the mediocre, partial tshuva. And now, if you talk about what I call for dramatic tshuva, person feels his, his life is wasted, you make a U-turn, you can't stop in the middle, right? A U-turn in the middle is more dangerous than, uh, than not doing anything. Uh, but if you're not talking about a U-turn, you're simply talking about improving your driving. If you're talking about improving your navigation a little better, so then, yes, every incremental increase uh, is, uh, is an advance. 
And once you focus upon self-improvement, you can, um, you can talk also about partial tshuva. And uh, once without getting into all the details, this is a major theme uh, throughout. And I think the recognition is, is possible because tshuva is defined as a constant progress of self-advancement and self-improvement. Uh, the other crucial point... Uh, Okay, I'll conclude in a moment or so. The, the other crucial point is that tshuva is initiated by man. There's a famous Josh, my father, I hear him quoted often, who initiates tshuva? One pasuk says, shuvu elai shuva lechem, because Rehu calls us, we should return, we should initiate the process. And another pasuk says, hashivenu Hashem elecha, no, because should initiate. Over here, it's clear. Man initiates, uh, and uh, this is mentioned uh, explicitly once more. Um. <clears throat> of course, he's not freeing himself alone. There's divine assistance. Uh, but indeed, a messiah, an assistance of significance, but fundamentally, the ball is in our court. This matter is dependent, as Rabbi Ezra Dordaya said, only on me. This is Rabbi Ezra Dordaya. Rabbi Mital's Rabbi Dordaya, with all the drama of his wasted life, is transformed here into focus upon the fact that man is responsible for his actions. Uh, okay, now, since uh, time is short, I'll just. Uh, I'll just enumerate uh, two, three bullet points. Um, the, um, not only is the focus of Chupan man, it seems to me throughout that the focus is what we call Chuvami Yira and not Chuvami Ava. It's the man God relationship throughout most of the. There's, there's a lot of talk here about return, you know, both a man and self improvement and also returning to Kodesh Baruch Hu. No, it's the, the man God relationship. But throughout, it's the relationship more of a master and, and a servant of a subordination and proper behavior in Bnei Hashem, much less the idea of Shomei Avad. Shomei Avad is quoted here a few times, but it's a, it's a relatively minor theme. The idea of man's self-discipline, his improvement, his, um, his mitzvot, tshuva is a mitzvah. The idea of tshuva being mandated appears here often in a central place for the same reason, because tshuva is the obligation of man to examine and to improve himself, um, and tshuva is not an isolated phenomenon. Once more, I won't quote because, uh, because of time constraints, but tshuva here is simply one example, a major and prime example, nevertheless one example of a much broader obligation of spiritual life. Tshuva is not like an independent idea or concept or a drama which is played out on its own. Tshuva is simply part of an integrated life of Vodat Hashem. And Tshuva is, is a good example, but it's true of everything else that man does, and Tshuva therefore is integrated into Prince uh, of Hashem. Okay, now... Um, to conclude this, uh, I'll say the following. Um, clearly, if tshuva is part of a person's general avodat Hashem, and tshuva has to do with self-examination and self-improvement, obviously uh, the, the, the writers or, or the speakers, hashkafa, will obviously play a central role. And uh, I think no one will be surprised if I say that the drashot here reflect not only my father's approach to tshuva, but to life in general. And uh, the way it defines tshuva, it has to be like that. 
And I reading the book at first glance, or the, or the first time I read it, I was, I'll be honest, I was a bit underwhelmed. Because it's, uh, for, for simple reason, the, the drama is missing. It's a, it catalogs tshuva upon tshuva, and every, every time when you catalog them into three, four, or five elements, and you mention five different aspects of sin, now, by definition, when you mention five different aspects of sin, you can't go to each one of them comprehensively. These would rush out. If you had done, if you'd gone to each one compre- comprehensively, people would have been stuck for four or five hours. As it was, none of these rush out were short. Uh, and, and therefore, um, it, it, by definition, it's a catalog, but you, feel, you get the feeling that more than those that, that, that you can't, uh, not enough was said. Upon, that, at first, you know, upon first reading, you, you get the sense that it's, um, you know, you, you you're not being told to do tshuva with, uh, with an exclamation mark. Uh, like no one's pointing a finger at you. It's rather it, the job is being described. However, uh, you know, upon further reflection, and uh, you know, when I begin to review it a second time uh, because of this evening, uh, so uh, I had a very fim- a similar experience. What happened often to listen to the drashot? Uh, I remember once hearing a hespade that my father gave about someone. It was a 90-minute hespade, and uh, initially. I had the same feeling, like there was nothing dramatic, but after 90 minutes, in which he comprehensively and thoroughly and systematically described the whole personality, there's a certain gravitas that sinks in, that you feel that uh, everything's been covered, that it, it's, it, when you cover everything, it leaves a tremendous impression. It's like, I would say it's, uh, it's like with a, like with a dancha almost. It's a slight, you know, slight pressure applied consistently uh, moves ma- can move mountains. Uh, and um, this is exactly what the, the impression I got over here. After you finish reading the book, so there's maybe nothing as dramatic as the resume or there's nothing as dramatic as this kind of, uh, you know, transformation in life. I remember my father once, uh, he once said that he's very much opposed to William James' idea of twice-born souls. It sounds very romantic and very great, but most people are not twice-born souls. It's, you know, it, it, it makes a good, uh, it's, in a book it looks good, but in life, most people are once-born souls and not twice-born souls. And I think he also didn't like the drama of all that. Uh, and, and therefore, I think when you, if you read the book, not the, the second time or the third time, it really forces you to do tshuva. You know, he's gone systematically through everything. What can you say? You know, when, everything has been, when everything has been covered systematically, you have no choice but to do tshuva. There's no, and there was, it's not like, oh, that, that, that's very dramatic, but not for me. You know, it's because it's dafka the fact that it's more even-keeled and it's less uh, dramatic it really thrust upon this obligation. It, it sinks in. I'm finishing now. It, 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 it sinks in. And in this regard, I said before, it reflects Ashkafa. As you all know, the book which was uh, published in his memory, and uh, the title of the book is a quote from Matthew Arnold, who saw life steadily and saw it whole. This is a perfect description, I think, of this book. He sees, the book sees tshuva steadily. It sees tshuva whole. And uh, not dramatically, but steadily in whole. When we see Tshuva steadily in whole, it does leave a lasting impression. And Bezat Hashem, uh, I think this will have impact upon my coming Elul and Rosh Hashanah, and I hope for the same is true of everyone else listening. Um, Bershus the Marida Astra, 
my dear friend, colleague, and teacher, Rabbi Chaim Strauchler, uh, I would also like to acknowledge with gratitude the hospitality of uh, my teachers, Rabbi J.J. and Yochavich Schachter. Thank you for your hospitality. Um, I am profoundly humbled to discuss Moreno Verabeno Haravar and Lichtenstein, Zechert Tzadik Livrocha's Torah Tachuva. Um, I um, can say that Rav Aron is of my greatest teachers. I didn't spend that much time in his share room with him a year, my second year of Gush, a year in, in, in Grus, but his model of excellence in Torah and Avodah just looms so large in, in my life. I'm sure that's true for so many of us here as well. And I'm deeply honored to share this panel with Kvod Haroshi Shiva, Rav Moshe Lichtenstein, with Dr. Tova Lichtenstein. Uh, although I've had few opportunities to learn directly from either of you. Um, there's a Torah, just like we say, Maiserab, there's a Torah Tamishpacha, and being in the yeshiva for two years and having that model of the Lichtenstein family on Shabbos, every other Shabbos uh, before us, uh, that was also an education in and of itself, and I thank you uh, with great gratitude uh, for that. Uh, this program is dedicated, as we heard before, in, in beloved memory of David uh, Landy, Zichron Libracha. I, I didn't really know David, but my connection with the Isaro family is uh, profound. I, I, I have a, a deep and abiding uh, relationship with your late parents, uh, Faye, and um, uh, we've had a chance to know each other, uh, your late sister Miriam Zichrona Labracha, and I just hope that programs like this give continuing blessing and inspiration to all of their memories. And uh, I'd also like to thank Yoel Weiss uh, for arranging this, and Yoel, you just lost your mother-in-law, so we dedicate our learning also to Miriam Rezel Rothschild, Zichrona Levracha, may her neshama have an aliyah, may her memory be for a blessing too. I look around the room, I see so many teachers and rabbis and friends, and I'm just so grateful to, to be here with you and, and to, to talk. I, I'd, I'd like to begin um, by focusing on what I like to call a favored exercise of Chazal. It's an essentialist proposal and a reductionist exercise. Uh, think of the Gemara and Shabbos Lamad Aleph, right, uh, the gear that comes before Shammai and Hillel, if I could stand on one foot, if you would boil it all down, how do you essentialize what Judaism stands for? And I say this is a favorite exercise because everyone always thinks of that example from the Gemara, but the truth is that it is writ large throughout Sifrei Chazal. And it's not only in Chazal, it's in the Torah itself, right? Uh, from Sefer Devarim, Ma Hashem Mimcha, to Micha, uh, many other places. The Gemara at the end of Makos gathers a lot of these uh, examples of this favorite exercise. Uh, this morning at Yeshiva, University. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there in person. I had a levaya that I had to attend to in, in, in Boston, but uh, there was a conference celebrating the learning and the teaching and the enduring memory of uh, the late Talna Rebbe, uh, Professor Rabbi uh, Yitzchak uh, Tversky, Zecher uh, Tzadik Livrocha. When I first came to Boston, I had two years with the Talna Rebbe. He was so kind to me. I, once a month, I had a meeting with him uh, before he, his illness really prevented that. And uh, I remember when he passed away, um, Rabbi Meir Soloveitchik uh, was uh, saying a story where he once asked his father, if you could sum, sum up Talner Hasidus, right? Is there a pasuk or a mimer that would sum it up? And he said, two psukim, one kedoshim to you 
and two, Bechol Derachecha De'ehu. You shall be holy, and in all of your ways, not God saying in all of my ways, in all of your ways, you should pursue the religious life. You should get to know God. And so I'm not going to be so presumptuous to try to boil down Torah Tarab Luchenstein into one pasuk or one statement. But I kept this exercise in mind when I read through the 14 Chuvadrashas, 12 in this book and, and two in By His Light, um, and had other readings in mind. Right? Can I uh, touch a, a light upon a pasuk, upon some type of statement that would serve me kind of as a mnemonic, a way to remember this uh, multifaceted Torah uh, of of, of uh, Rav Luchenstein on, on Shuva that uh, uh, Rav Moshe just so beautifully uh, described its, its profundity of conceptuality, right? Uh, if, is there something we could... Now, uh, you could stand on one foot. You could try to boil it all down. You, you can't get very far on one foot <laughs> if you want to ambulate, if you want to move from point A to point B, right? Then you're going to need uh, two paths, and the, and the way is not level or linear, right? So we're, we're going to need a, a steady path. But it does have help to like just have this station identification. What is our core value? Is there something could encapsulate it all? And, and then uh, like an iceberg with uh, all of the, the mass of ice under the sea, or you could think of a mountain of granite floating into a, a sea of basalt, right? What, what exactly are then are, are the, the roots, the, 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 the depth, the profundity of the chuba? So I, I did, I believe, come up with uh, a suggested, uh, it's not a pasuk, it's a liturgical uh, uh, phrases or, or, or verses. And, um, and uh, it, one of them, uh, as part of this, uh, actually is one of the titles of, of one of his chuba uh, drushes. And I actually felt licensed to do this because Rav Luchenstein himself, in his uh, The Integrity of Tshuva, the Drasha, speaks about what he calls Judaism's dual conceptual of divine service. And he indeed begins with this reductionist proposal, this essentializing, now Israel, quoting from Devarim Daf Perak Yud, what does the Lord your God demand of you? Only that you revere the Lord your God, that you walk in his ways, that you love him, that you serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes that are commanding you today for your benefit. So giving voice to Rav Luchenstein's own words, he says that Judaism moves and asks us to move along a dual axis. On one plane, there are grand, majestic concerns, the very fiber of our religious being, with both serve as a point of departure and the ultimate telos of our religious experience. And that's what I mean by this essentialist exercise, right? Can you boil it all down and it gives you a direction? I have a starting point. I have a, 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 an end point. I have a path there I want to get to. On another plane, we speak of a mass of detail, the multiplicity of mitzvot, and then the detail within each mitzvah. And... Uh, we, the, the details, right, are, are the path relating to the minutia of daily life uh, and, and the grand sweeps, walking in God's ways, loving God, serving God. So what is the encapsulating verses that I came up with? Now, uh, just a, a quick show of hands. How many people here had the schuss to learn in Yeshivat Haratzion? Okay. So you remember what happens on Friday night? We go down to the Mivoah. And we form a circle, and we do what is famously known as the Gush Shuffle, and we sing a song, right? So that song that we would sing 
is the, the verses that I would like to su- suggest essentializes Rav Luchenstein's Torah Tachuba. Kadshenu b'mitzvotecha b'ten chalkenu b'toratecha. Sanctify us through your commandments and give us our, our portion in your Torah. Sabenu mituvecha, satiate us with your goodness v'samchenu and help us rejoice b'yishuatecha in your salvation. V'tahir libenu, this is the verse that's a, a title of one of his tshuva drushas. V'tahir libenu and purify our hearts to worship God in truth. Rav Luchenstein has so many beautiful chakiras to break down this complex reality of us trying to make our way through life with all of our mistakes and, and trying to, uh, to find corrections and remedies and ultimately redemption. He speaks about moral tshuva and religious tshuva. For Rav Luchenstein, moral tshuva in this sense is not just interpersonal ethics, but moral tshuva res- relates to discrete acts, to behavior. Religious tshuva is personality, virtue, my character. Rav Luchenstein speaks about tshuva from. I have to correct and amend the mistakes that I made, the trespasses that I've, that I've done. And tshuva too, v'shavta ad, that I want to restore relationship. The tshuva of ferment, of crisis, and the tshuva of repose, of, of, of really having that menuchat ha-nefesh, ha, ha of uh, the mei menuchot uh, 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 that we aspire. Tshuva mi-yir'ah, the fear and the quaking awe, tshuva mi-ahava, the lovesickness that is the pinnacle, the capstone, the climax of Hilchot tshuva, the tshuva of love, the tshuva of crisis, the tshuva of norm, the tshuva of occasion and the annual and the tshuva of the perennial and the perpetual. Kadshenu b'mitzvotecha, b'ten kolkenu b'toratechta, sanctify us through your mitzvot. Give us our portion in, 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 in Torah. Rav Lichtenstein speaks about how there's failure at mitzvot, there's neglect of Torah. This has impact. What's the remedy? Well, we regret our actions, we show remorse, we accept upon ourselves never to do it again, we forsake it, and we confess our sins. That could be partial uh, tshuva, we could focus on certain uh, uh, trespasses or or failures that we've had, Um, and and, uh, for Rav Lichtenstein, right, the the curative for that, the remedy, is to have discrete correctives to discrete Actions, and that's one modality of, of tshuva. Uh, the Rambam uh, uh, elucidates this, says Rav Lichtenstein, in the first half of Hilcho Tshuva, really focusing on these discrete trespasses, what, what he calls moral tshuva. Sabenu mituvecha v'samchenu b'shuatecha. Let us be sated, inspired, nurtured, and nourished by your goodness. This presupposes a hakarasatov, and not what Rav Luchenstein and another, as he calls, Timahon Levav, that we're confused, uh, right? It, we really uh, can appreciate the brachos. We appreciate our own capacity. Rav Luchenstein has a beautiful tshuva on the dangers of pride. Pride and anger are, are cousins. They're related. They work together. But, but pride on how it actually undermines people in their religious actions and their discreet actions. But Rav Luchenstein takes issue with one uh, voice, in, in our tradition, which says that you have to be a gurnish, you have to be a nothing, you can't, you can't see yourself as worthy of anything. And in fact, one of the, the, the lyrical themes of, of Slichot and our liturgy on, on the Yamim Narayim is 
we're worthless. We're not worthy. But Rab Luchenstein then says that to do tshuva, you have to be makir tov. You have to recognize that Hashem believes in us. We share in God's power. We are imprinted in the image of God. We have capacity to be better than we have been. There is gedulata adam. There is greatness in a person and that we can uh, be. And Rav Luchenstein speaks about how tshuva, yes, is fear and crisis, but it's also confidence and courage and joy. He says, yes, there's joy. And he has a whole halakhic analysis how there is even a, an aspect of simcha on the yamim no raim as well. The fear grows into awe and then into the love. The shame, the smallness, the nothingness we feel begins to transmute into the recognition of Gedula Sa'adam. We are worthless but worthy. Hashem believes in us. And we aim to be like Moshe Rabbeinu, who is both the greatest and the most humble, recognizing that his courage and confidence is grounded in service to Hashem. And then Rav Luchenstein speaks about Betahir libenu la'abdecha be'emet. Emet is truth, honesty, being true with ourselves, being true to the process, but emet is also whole, integrated, not only integrity, but integrated. And Rav Luchenstein likes to speak about how tahara, v'tahir libenu, tahara is, is uh, not partial. It's not like the first half of, of Hilchot Tshuva. If you have a chatzitza, if you're holding the sheretz and you're uh, immersing in the, in, in the mikvah, you don't emerge tahor. Betahir libenu is the, what we aspire to. That is where we're uh, uh, trying to end up, that uh, we, 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 we want to have a total immersion, and that's the tshuva of Ni'ila on Yom Kippur, when we have to believe the only way we could sin against Yom Kippur is not believe that Hashem will give us kapara. And so we say, that's focusing on our character, as the Rambam emphasizes in the end of Hilchos Tshuva, moving from the Yira to the Ahava, the total immersion, we are remade. We not only have returned, but we have renewed ourselves. And so that is what we aspire to. We may be benonim, uh, mediocre. We find ourselves in the mediocre middle, but Torat, Harav Luchenstein on Tshuva, inspires us to pursue a Tshuva of excellence, what he calls not mediocre Tshuva, but the Tshuva of the mediocre. It, uh, it begins, Sur Ra, separate yourself from the mistakes, the failings, the sins, and then it goes to Va'ase Tov, and do good, immerse yourself, come out renewed, come out whole, aspire to shlemuta adam, renewal, restoration of self, and most importantly, as an Oved Hashem, with, in, in renewed relationship with God. May we merit to walk this path, recognizing on one foot our core principles and the plural complex of the paths that lay b- b- uh, before us, uh, but if, as Rav Luchenstein, uh, Rav Moshe Luchenstein said, if uh, we have opportunity to learn from Rav Luchenstein, we cannot help but get swept up in the trajectory from the beginnings of tshuva to the ultimate end of restoration of relationship and renewal of self. Thank you.
we're going to engage now in some discussion about these ideas about um, the SAFER. And uh, I'd like to uh, begin that discussion with uh, a, uh, a question to be posed to, to both, uh, both our speakers. Uh, to summarize, I'll regal Acha to take what was already a summary of a summary. Um, I think that Rav Moshe was able to really put forward uh, a distinct um, analysis of how Rav Aaron saw tshuva as being one that, in some respects, does not even require sin. That it's about ongoing growth through a lifetime, in which a person, year after year, is able to come closer to Kaddish Baruch Hu through the process of tshuva. And this life, steady and whole, is something that, in some many respects, Rav Aaron perhaps not telling drama in terms of the writing, perhaps created a drama in terms of his own example, in terms of how it was that he lived his life as an example of this vision uh, of tshuva. And then Rav Benji, uh, Rav Samuels, in uh, describing the, the content of that tshuva and that life steady and whole, in describing kachinim sosecha is something that, that brings out many of the details of what it is that Rav Aaron was able to achieve and what it is that he remains an example for us of Kachem Mitzvah and the Tzahir Libenu, L'Avdecha Be'emet. So I'd like to pose a question about how those of us who may not be quite steady and whole, how are we who often do have real sins to atone for? How are we to see this example if, in some respects, the Revelazar ben Dardaya example is somehow not just more dramatic, but in some respects is more true to the world in which we live? That the, the high aspirations are something which are wonderful to dream of, but all too often in the day-to-day lives, I'm going to speak for myself and no one else in the room, but the day-to-day lives of facing chet is something where that, those dreams often seem to be a, a mountain too far. Okay. <laughs> um, Rav Lichtenstein is fond of quoting the Gemara uh, in Yuma, uh, Pehei, I think it is, with Reish Lakish. Right, there are two versions. Reish Lakish says, Gadol HaTshuva, She Averos Nasel is Huyos, and the second is... Um, Zdonos Nasek The first one is Shkagos, and the second one is Zechuyos. And and the Gemara parses it by saying that the first is Chuba Miyira, and the second is Chuba Miyahava. So I think that if people are just stuck on discrete sins and they speak about correcting their behavior, but they're not necessarily focused on the nurturing and cultivation of their larger virtue and character. That is a madrega and tshuva. The Rambam begins hilchos tshuva that way, and that is tshuva miyira. And when you do get kapara, then your uh, then your intentional sins, yours don't know, are, are like shkagos. It's like you didn't really meet them. You weren't yourself. They, but but you haven't had a, a rehabilitation of person. And when you really are able to push further along that path, 
and not only correct our, our behaviors, but have a reintegration of personality, a reorientation of what a, our purpose in the world is. What is my relationship with, with others, with my society? What, are, what is the kindness and generosity I need to show myself in recognizing my, my, my capacities and, and talents? And, and what is the honor and service that is due to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the relationship that I could form? If we could reach that type of tshuva, then we, we reach tshuva me'ava, right? It's not just the tshuva from, but it's the tshuva to. Then that's the tshuva out of love. That is the love sickness. That is the tshuva of relationship. The Rambam recognizes that's a high madrega. Rav Luchenstein, several points in the Tshuva Russia speaks about how the Rambam in the seventh chapter, right, where he deals with character and virtue and larger personality, says something strange. The Rambam in the beginning says that it's a mitzvah to do tshuva. You, you sin, you have to do tshuva. You have to have remorse, you have to uh, harata, you, you have to forsake the sin, you, you have to kabbalah latid, that you're not going to do it again, and, and you confess it with words. You bring it out into the world of reality. But in chapter 7, he says that a person yishtadel should try to do tshuva, and by that, they'll merit the world to come. So the question is, why yishtadel? It's a mitzvah, it's a normative obligation. So Rav Luchenstein says, because that is the longer-range trajectory, that is the perpetual tshuva that we aspire to over the maturation of our, of our character in our lifetime. We have to try. That's not something that we accomplish in a period of Elul or even in a year, a yamim no rhyme. That is a tshuva of building ourselves over a, over a lifetime. And, um, and, and that's the highest madrega, and that's what we aspire to ultimately. But it is a very good madrega to begin, even if we have the partial tshuva, as Rav Luchenstein so generously allows us to have partial tshuva. So I'll just add briefly, um, I'll begin with a quick story. Uh, the Shabbat, uh, after I was appointed Rosh Yeshiva in the Yeshiva, we made, there was a, there was a Shabbos, what they call Shabbat Kal Yeshivati. That was the entire Yeshiva was, uh, had a, a get-together a get- get- after the meal Friday night. Uh, I spoke then about that the, major, the biggest spiritual challenge for people is Shrika, loss of I mean, spiritual tension, loss of energy. Basically, you get accustomed to daily to routine. There was a yeah, routine of basically, you know, the routine becomes lesser and lesser. Uh, my father then said, I disagree. The biggest spiritual uh, enemy is Yeush, despair. So I said to him, I agree that despair, he quoted Balatanya to, to, also with a quote to that extent. I said, I agree with you that despair is uh, deeper, is, is a worse enemy. However, most people don't suffer from despair, but everyone suffers from uh, shrika. So it's a question like, how do you define the question? Do you find uh, for the 10% or 20% who have despair, obviously they're much worse off, but I think that 90% of us, or if not 100%, uh, suffer from uh, shrika, meaning loss of tension. Um, burnout, yeah, maybe... Uh, it's a bit. It's a bit milder than burnout, I think. Uh, at least I hope it's. Yeah, it's like this. I hope I don't suffer from burnout, but I do suffer from shrika. That much I. Uh, that much I know. Um, now, so I, I think. So what is the what's the solution? And here it's it goes back to a point which Benji mentioned before, and which is emphasized throughout the throughout the book. Yeah, the the, the two points here. One is tshuva me'ahava. Shvamehava means basically a relationship. Uh, I'll try to explain uh, how, he, how I view the least difference between Shvamehava and Shvamehava. Shvamehava 
doesn't, it, it's not a question of I, do I fear punishment. Or, it's rather something else. Shvami Havai focus upon the particular transgression. I'll give an example. If I forgot to get the garbage, if I didn't, uh, you know, if I didn't wash the dishes or whatever, I can come and justify it. Well, I forgot, I was tired, I didn't notice, uh, whatever. I give all kinds of excuses, some better, some worse. Uh, I can commit, it won't happen again, I promise. Uh, and so on. That's Shvam Yira. Meaning, that's a tshuva in which I try to improve a particular point. In other words, I know this is a failure. I address the failure and try. Either I address the root of it. I explain why it happened, even though it shouldn't have happened. I commit what we call Kabbalah Atid. Then I request forgiveness. Uh, however, truly happens with something else. Right? Assuming I forgot to uh, take out the garbage and my wife gets upset with me. So instead of explaining, I just we just feel so close to each other. I just you know she gives me a big hug. I give her a big hug. So what if we're if we're such great love? We're going to begin arguing about the garbage now. It's it's petty. It's trivial, um, and that's shami ava. Shami ava. You still the kodesh baruch and you, and you he said Hashem Hashem kel malev kerechum vechanun. What does that mean? It means you call the kodesh baruch by his first name. It means you can address him on a first name basis. Hashem, Hashem, Hashem kodem achet, Hashem achreachet. I feel as close to Kodesh Baruch Hu after the chet as before the chet. And, of course, the great grace is that he also feels the same to us. He taught us that we can do this. Kodesh Baruch Hu told us that even after we sin, we can continue to, to be to close and intimate with him. So if that's the case, Shumiyava means it belittles the chet. The chet is simply overwhelmed by, by the relationship. So I think part of it, yes, we, obviously we will sin, and obviously we will make uh, mistakes, but as long as we hold to the relationship, as long as we have this sense of being close to Kodesh Baruch Hu, that I think is a crucial uh, part. I mentioned before that I felt that Shumiyava in this book is... I'm not saying my father's life or in his uh, or in his ashkaf. In this book, I think it's, it's less represented. And matter of fact, just a point I wrote down and didn't uh, mention before, Vidui occupies a central place throughout all these essays. Gilmidos is re- is really mentioned, uh, but I think obviously he would have told you, and uh, I'm willing to say I think he would have said also a good deal is the relationship, and that that's what all of us can. Uh, that's number one, and, and number two is uh, he. Talks there about shuvah the mediocre shuvah shuvah the mediocre. He talks about effort. Uh, when we were children, my grandfather, Dr. Lichtenstein, he was, at the time Avis had the slogan, "We try harder," because they were always number two. So the slogan was, "We try harder." And my grandfather used to, I mean, every, as a child, every time we ate the Shabbos table by him, uh, he would mention this, and we believe in Avis. We try harder. And the idea of effort there is uh, deeply embedded. Halacha tells us. Right, he can't do tshuva. tshuva. If you say I do tshuva, but I'm going to sin tomorrow morning, tshuva is meaningless. It's worthless. On the other hand, all of us know that when we say vidui and when we say neila, we know we can predict that the two months from now we will repeat some of the same sins. Now, I know we, we all, unfortunately, we all know this. No matter how much we say that the odds of are saying Lashon come Kislev or Tevet are quite high. So why, why is this not being hypocritical and why is this not Echtave Ashuv? The answer is I have the best intentions in the world. But people have Shechika. 
people can't live at the same level of intensity the entire year. Put differently, I have no aim whatsoever of sinning again. I can predict, I can forecast it's going to happen. But a forecast is, is not, it's, it's simply, no, it's knowledge of the future. It's not trying to cause it. It's not trying to will it. I don't want to do it. Unfortunately, I, I, can, I can forecast I also annoy my wife sometime during the coming year. Even though I have no intention of doing it, chas v'shalom. But nevertheless, is, is, uh, what are the odds? The odds are that it's going to happen. So as long as we focus upon our effort, and as long as we're sincere, so that's legitimate, even though we say, yes, human nature, everyone will sin, everyone is frail, so we accept human frail, like, to err is human, and, and, and by the way, I should just uh, conclude with this, we say this, and David Melch says, we say this, we say this in Kihuya Dayitzreinu, uh, he's aware of our desires, our impulses, Zachur Kefar Nachnu, he knows that we're only material creatures at the end. Uh, and David Melech says even more so. David Melech in Mizmor and Aleph, when he talks about Batsheva, David Melech says over there, um, cholalti, I was created in sin. Imi. Man is conceived in sin. Now the conclusion of this is not different man's a corrupt being like some of the, some of the Protestant versions. It's rather... Because man is created, simply if that's how man comes to the world, so Kajroch has to accept the fact that we are not perfect, that we're fallible, because we're programmed to be like that. So therefore, it's not being hypocritical, but as long as we make the effort and we are sincere. The vision of uh, the human person that's being described both by our speakers but also uh, in Rav Aaron's writing itself, I think it's also something for us to reflect upon. And that is to, to ask about the, the nature of the tshuva endeavor and, and the place of sin in order to spark tshuva. And if we're describing tshuva as something which in some respects does not require sin, but rather it's an ongoing process throughout a lifetime of improvement, of seeking to slowly but surely come closer to Kaddish Baruch Hu, what does that say about the, the human person, about who we are and what our task is here within our worlds? Can you explain that more? Okay, so a major idea throughout uh, throughout the book, and Rabbi Tarragon in the afterward uh, also emphasizes this, is that tshuva is predicated upon free will, b'chirach of Now the idea of tshuva, that man can improve himself, means that Kashbrok has trust in man. If he didn't trust man, no, tshuva is a mitzvah. And uh, my father discusses this a few times in a few places in the book over there. And he quotes, the, he quotes opinions that tshuva is not a mitzvah, he considers them inconceivable. Uh, he quotes Michas Chinuch, and, he, say, and uh, he, he quotes it once in the name of the Rav, a few times in his own uh, position, that Chu is obviously a mitzvah. It's not only a mitzvah. There's many other things as well. It's an opportunity, it's a, but it's also an obligation. And the Kolesh Baruch Hu mandates tshuva because he believes in us. You can only mandate tshuva if you believe that man has the potential to improve. Uh, and, uh, and the answer is, I think, yes. In other words, the, the idea of tshuva is, and, and that's why he emphasizes so much b'chirach of shit, that man can choose, he can choose to improve himself, and man can take upon himself the task. And some of the unexamined life is not worth living, but life which cannot be improved may not be worth living. And the implicit assumption of tshuva is that man can improve life, that man can have self-discipline. 
and I, now he also discusses there um, the idea that um, the, the Gemara has, has a machloket, uh, there's a disagreement with the Gemara, whether a person has to every year repeat the sins only when you, when you have to confess only the sins of the past year, you have to go backwards in time and confess sins from 10, 20 years ago. Matter of fact, my, my brother Mayor, Rav Mayer once uh, told us that my father told him that the older he got, the longer Shmon Esser became. Because every year he was, he was saying vidui for the sins from 1950, 1951, 52, and the longer his life got, the more he had to account for. Uh, and in the book he states that he, he, even though the Gemara has a disagreement, he thinks it's inconceivable that a person should not have to say vidui every year for all the previous sins. Because I think he's looking at the vidui is a, is a process of self-improvement. The process of improvement, you have to draw lessons. If, if, if vidu is simply to erase, uh, you know, to erase, so to speak, the stain, so once you've erased the stain, you know, it's a cleaned garment, it doesn't have to be cleaned again and again and again. But if the idea of tshuva is self-improvement, it's to, it's to draw lessons, and the Rambam certainly says this in a few, in a few places, that the idea of tshuva is, let's, the idea of let's draw lessons from the past and make our lives better lives, so obviously we should draw lessons not only from last year but from 10 years ago as well. And even the idea of tshuva is that man, yes, you should believe in man. And uh, if, if I take the same mizmor that Davi talks about Sheva, he doesn't only say, hein bavon cholalti. He also says, alamda poshim drachecha v'chatei melecha yeshuva. I'll serve as a beacon for tshuva. I'll show people that improvement is possible, that it's possible to repent, and I will take it to greater and newer heights. And that's, of course, the idea of zdonot kizchuyot, which was mentioned before. Uh, I would just add that um, the, the Rambam, and Rav Luchensin emphasizes this, indeed puts Bechir Chavshah's free will as the linchpin of tshuva and places it smack dab in the, in the middle of, uh, of Hilchos tshuva. Uh, and the Rambam goes so far, it sounds hyperbolic. He says that anyone has the ability to be as righteous and as great as Moshe or to be as wicked as Yeravam ben Nevat. And Rav Luchenstein, in his own writings, says, we don't believe, whether it's nature, nurture, you know, there was a, 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 um, a, a question in, in, in science and religion uh, 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 about neuroscience and our limitations of, of free will. Uh, there was an orthodox forum on it uh, not uh, many years ago. Uh, and, and, you know, can we really be as great as Moshe? Can we really have the capacity for inhumanity of, uh, of a Yerabam or, or, or some evildoer like that? Uh, do we really have unlimited, unlimited ability and, and, and capacity? So here I would uh, differentiate between what I would call an explanation and an attitude or orientation. Uh, right? If we're looking for an explanation, Rab Lichtenstein himself in one of his essays recognizes, and he says even Chazal recognized, that there may be constraints upon a person. They may not have uh, just complete plasticity. But at the same time, right, if we take the attitude or orientation that we are capable of much more than we've proven already in our, in our own lives, that if we make mistakes, we are, we are uh, uh, b'nei malachim, or, or the children of, of God, we are, we are able to, to correct and improve and elevate ourselves, that we could aspire to excellence, then we will achieve and we will avoid what Ramosha you just said, is the, the killer of tshuva, despair, despair. 
And so I, I really think, you know, uh, we, we take the attitude and orientation that we have that free will, that we have that capacity, and whatever the constraints are, that's for the cheshbonos of a baruch But for our own aspirations, we have to be free agents with, uh, with, with great promise. There's been much comments in the general society about the mental health crisis in which um, our society is immersed. And I think it's something for us to consider the, the role of tshuva within that discussion for, for good and perhaps also for some extra challenge in terms of how it is that uh, a Jew who is facing mental health crisis comes into this period uh, of the calendar. And the aspiration that uh, we've been speaking about, this idea that uh, a person is meant to utilize tshuva during the course of a lifetime to grow, can also be a, a great tool to, um, to facilitate a, I might say a healthy attitude towards tshuva that in some respects is very different from some of the guilt of other approaches to tshuva. That it's not about a person collapsing with chetz, but rather there's something about an aspiring towards something greater and higher. And so I'd like to, to ask that our, our speakers reflect upon what does this book, what does this approach to tshuva, what does it say to the moment of the despair that is really taking place around us to a certain extent? And is there something that we can get in terms of a nechama that comes through through this book? I would uh, just briefly say that uh, we're all familiar with Rav Lichtenstein's high standards and aspirations and expectations of excellence. Uh, I think that's fair. That's a standard he held himself to, and I think that was his hope for his Talmidim and, and all who chose to learn from him. And yet, if you read these Chuva drushas, there is an amazing degree of understanding, of generosity, and of realizing that people need to uh, measure their aspirations and gradations. And so, um, uh, you know, uh, mental illness is a very serious uh, malady. Uh, it's, it's subject not to a wholesale uh, a prescription, but in individualized uh, uh, format. We, we don't want a tshuva process uh, or, or even a shmir samitzvah process to be injurious to a person, but that doesn't mean that they, they don't have a place. It just means that they have to be customized for the person and their particular uh, needs. But uh, in Rav Lichtenstein's view of tshuva, there is the tshuva of the excellent and the excellent tshuva but there's this beautiful chuba drasha that he has on the mediocre chuba and chuba of the mediocre. The chuba of the mediocre or the chuba of the, the challenged, whatever their challenge is, doesn't have to be mediocre chuba. It could be just the right chuba for them. Figuring out what the right chuba is, that's some of the complexity, right? That's the roots be, be, beneath the surface. Uh, but uh, there is a, a great deal of uh, per personalization and uh, generosity that, that comes across in Rav Lichtenstein's adumbration of the process of chuba. Uh, 
I'll just state the, the book is a normative book. It doesn't deal with, no, the, the book is written as a, as a normative book. It, it deals with normative issues, how to be applied to each individual and his station and his circumstances. The, this book is not, uh, is not doing that, and my father was not a mental health professional, and, and therefore he was not, that was not his goal in, in these drashot. The goal is to set a normative standard. Application is obviously individual to each person. I'll just say that clearly the approach in this book, not surprisingly, is not that of the Muslim movement. The Muslim movement tried to basically posit tshuva, and not only tshuva, but religious life in general, upon guilt and fear of death. Rizal Salanter tried consciously to instill a deep sense of guilt. Rizal Salanter thought that man was a deeply flawed being. I said like this... uh, the Muslim movement, certainly Rabbi Salanter and, and then the classic movement, uh, Kelim and the like, uh, they basically saw a man begins life at minus 100, and the goal of tshuva is to raise him to zero. Uh, I, 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 unlike, and they really, he really, they really saw a man as a disease, no, it's every man is like that. Unlike, uh, unlike the non-Muslim movement, they thought man begins at zero, and the idea is to elevate him to 100. And uh, when the Rev writes in Ishalacha that uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer came to Valozhin and he tried to convince him to study Musa, and Rabbi Chaim said to him, Musa is like antibiotics. If you're sick, you take, if you have an infection, you take antibiotics. So if the Muslim movement feels that they have, that religiously have religious infections, fine, we don't. Uh, and, um, and my father would always comment that maybe Valozhin was a bit too... Uh, Valozhin was a bit too self-satisfied, uh, but, uh, but, but on, the, on the other hand, I, I think it's clear that this is not just like a cavalier exchange. That they, it really, Reb Chaim really hit the nail on the head in terms of how you view human nature and the human situation. We also really believe that man is a deeply flawed being, and the only way to shake him to his senses is A, to talk about fear of death, and B, is this deep sense of guilt. And uh, the Rav clearly was, I, I, I can tell you, that he writes in but when I was a young 17-year-old, I was in Boston by the Rav, and uh, after Yom Kippur, between Kippur and Sukkot, uh, so I was by, by, my, by the Tversky's, by my aunt and uncle, and one day I was alone with the Rav in the kitchen, and I asked him, as a curious 17-year-old, I asked him, what do you thought about the Musa movement? He, he, he was on his way back to his room. Remember, he stood in the doorway of the kitchen, turned around and shot. Mama shot like a, he said, I don't, I, I don't like the Musa movement because Yadus is based upon Yira and not Pachad. Uh, it's based upon awe and not fear. And, and then he turned around and walked out. Made this, uh, and like, like this exclamation mark. Uh, and uh, this is true also here. The entire book is based upon the idea that man has free will, he can improve himself, man has the potential for greatness, uh, and not the idea, and then the guilt is not... Uh, now, obviously you should be guilty if you made a big sin, but uh, by the way, I think you can all assume my father did not tell people to do kaparot like they did in the 17th century, like, to, like not to eat for a week if you sinned or whatever, but there was once a story that someone, by mistake, he ate chametz and Pesach. He thought, he thought he was buying a paste of the cake, and he, his wife told him it was too tasty, uh, and, and it was. Uh, he came to my father really upset. 
my father told him that he should, for, uh, he gave him a tshuva, he gave him a kapar, I don't, I don't know what it was exactly, but like he told him for a week or whatever not to uh, partake of certain pleasures. Uh, so obviously, but at, at, at its root, he did not believe in this guilt, uh, instilling guilt as part of the tshuva process. So. I'd like to call on Panav for Dr. Tova Lichtenstein for closing remarks. Please rise, yes. I certainly don't want to talk about Chuve in the presence of these of uh, participants who certainly know much more about it. Uh, but I would like to say, Epiphany was not part of my husband's life. Uh, what was, what was, he was not waiting for great um, discoveries or great Giloy Shechina. He really spent his life, and he really thought life should be examined very closely. Life needed to be examined. And if one were to know really how he considered Shuva, I think one has to think about what Yom Kippur, which is the day that is Mechaper, the end process of all the Asevati made Shuva. And these drushes were given at the Gruss Center during Asevati made Shuva. And what the, 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 the end of it all is Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur, those who bring the Yeshiva understand that Yom Kippur was really a special day. And that day was spent, as I think, as my husband thought, that, that, that a Jew should spend the day that he stands really to live a kezal chayav. Uh, on one Rosh Hashanah, just as an aside, and I'm interrupting myself, but I reminded myself, on one Rosh Hashanah, oh, this was probably 48 or 49 years old. What My shy, who's 50, was a little baby. And I was davening because I couldn't go up to the ladies' section because he was going to make a lot of noise. And so I was davening in the steps that lead up to the base medrash. And there were, we used to have a butka on the roof on which there was a shomer. And the kids used to go up to the butka with a shomer. And there was a button there. And that button was to be pressed in case there was an um, attack of mechablim. Uh, and so one of the kids pressed the button on Yom Kippur. And everybody ran, and this one ran for the guns, and this one ran under the table, and I ran to get shy, and my shadow flew off. And it was a bad thing. And when it was all over, my husband said to them, that's when you think a mechabel is coming. We're all standing in front of Melech Malchei Hamlachim. Do you know how you should feel? And so he had a great Yirat Hashem. But as my son said, he also granted eight Avat Hashem. But he also had a great Avat Torah. And I'm now going back to Yom Kippur after I interrupted myself. Yom Kippur and the yeshiva insisted of a, at night, of taking the Sefer Torah out. And anybody who was in the yeshiva remembers how my husband took the Sefer Torah out and said, That is not the Jew. That's the Jew that's standing in front of God. It was like almost like a coronation. And then there was the davening. And when he said Al-Chet, I used to stand there and think to myself, how long can a man stand bended over, bent over, 
and say al chet. And I think he never in his life during the day heard Nisana Tokiv. I don't think he ever heard it on Yom Kippur. Comes Nisana Tokiv, we all get up and we cry, and we cry because we're right to cry, because we really are standing at a very difficult moment, and he would stand there. I don't think he ever heard it. And I don't think he ever heard it on Rosh Hashanah either. When it was Malchus, the Kronos, and Shofos, they were equal when there was and he had to finish his Shmoni on, on Rosh Hashanah because he was Matkia. But on Yom Kippur, he didn't have to. And he would stand there, and they would start Chazar Rosh and he would continue. So there was that. But then, but then there was the learning at night. And then, but that was at night, okay? I went to, at night, Yom Kippur, he... He, he davened, he said the longest monastery you can imagine, and then he gave a shia, a shia, a shayor in Gemara, on an inyan of avodat yom hakipurim, avodat yom hakipurim of the Beit Hamikdash, and he would say it until the last boy fell asleep in the back row. Till what time, Moshe? Did he say what? Past midnight. Past midnight. Past midnight. Then he would come home and get up and go back and daven. And the end of Yom Kippur, all of a sudden he was a different person. As if there was a faith that God would forgive. And anybody that didn't hear, Rav Amital and he, dance afterwards with all the yeshiva and say, Minha Meitza Karatiya, and that was the experience of Yom Kippur. It's Minha Meitza from the depths of my despair, of my being human, of my sinning, of my not being able to do what I should. I have examined my life. I have done what I have to do. And now, Rabbi Shalaylam, you're going to accept it. And I think that is really what Shuva was for him. And I want to talk a little bit about David Leandis, who indeed was a, there's an expression in Hebrew, a Talmud Vatik, which is not a, a question of his age. It's a question of his, his relationship. And it doesn't make a difference. You were a year in the yeshiva 30 years ago, but you're still a Talmud. And he had a real special relationship to my husband. And he would come visit us, and that was very important. But when David was sick, I have come to the conclusion one has to have to have a special skill to know how to die. It's not simple to die. And I think Pasha's Dvarim, the whole Sefer Dvarim, is about how Moshe died. Moshe didn't want to die. He really didn't want to leave Am Yisrael. And that was his final speech to Am Yisrael people don't want to die and David realized that this if he was going to die he was going to die like a man like a Jew like a believer and I truly think that this is a wonderful thing to have this evening in his memory and I thank you all for coming and I thank and I wish you a